Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week, we're going to start talking about the life of Abraham. Uh, our section, our, our portion this week is Lech Lecha, which is go for yourself. And, you know, when we look at what we've seen over the past few weeks, we started out with God creating the heavens and the earth and giving a charge to Adam to go and to fill the earth, uh, to be fruitful and to multiply. And he charged Adam to work and work the ground and to serve the Lord. And we went through 10 generations and man had failed and God brought forth Noah, right? One who would bring rest. And then through the life of Noah and his, his faithfulness, God delivered man again, <laughs> kind of in a, in a new creation as we talked about, with the new creation of the world. And then we go 10 more generations after Noah and we come to Abraham. And again, the 10 generations had failed, uh, and it, but in a much shorter time frame. <laughs> because after the flood, it was just a few hundred years until you had the Tower of Babel, and you had the uh, splitting of all the nations and into various tongues. And you had Nimrod coming up as a ruler. But then Abraham was born in the year 1948. And you're 1948 from creation, okay? Which uh, has some significance in that the state of Israel was created in 1948 of what we call the common era. You know, it's, we call it the common era. It's been called A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Um, the funny thing about it is that, you know, Yeshua wasn't born in the year zero, <laughs> Right? He was most likely born around 6 BC. Okay? That's roughly okay. There can be some variation there in thoughts, but let's call it roughly 6 BC. Yet, even still, God caused it to work out so that the nation of Israel would be established in, in the year 1948 of the current reckoning to align perfectly with Abraham's birth in the year 1948 from creation. It's pretty cool how God can, can work all things according to. His purposes, even though we can look and say, well, the calendar's off by a few years if we're really trying to judge from Yeshua's birth. But it's spot on, right? So pretty neat. We're going to talk about the faith of Abraham today. And I want to start not in the portion, but in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Okay, so within this passage we see Yeshua says that Anyone who's going to come after him needs to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And that 
those who lose their life for his sake will find it, right? So it sounds pretty easy, right? <laughs> that doesn't sound very easy, right? Um, it sounds, uh, sounds like a bit of a hardship when we think about what we want for ourselves, right? Because we want good for ourselves, but then to think, deny myself, lose my life, take up my cross, it sounds like uh, some work. So I wanted to kind of think about this in the perspective of how God presented it to Abraham. And, and we'll read in Genesis 12, 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in, in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. All right, so God tells Abram to leave his land, his relatives, and his father's house, which is not an easy task to do because Abram had lived approximately 20 years in Haran at this time. And so even though it wasn't the, the land of his birth, it was a land that he was accustomed to where he had lived. He'd had his relatives with him. He had his father. And then, too, in the culture, honoring your, your parents and your family was uh, a great, a great uh, part of life. So to leave them, he was going to be leaving something behind that was very valuable. So I was thinking about it, and, and, and what's the question to us of, well, have you ever left something of value behind? And uh, on purpose, right? I often leave. <laughs> it's really easy to leave things behind. Even at times, uh, our kids, it's like, oh, yeah, hang on. <laughs> something of great value. Okay. Plus we have to be mindful, right? But now I'm talking about something intentional where it's like you leave something behind intentionally and maybe even not even when you know where you're going, right? Think about that aspect, too. It's like you can leave something of value behind when you say, okay, I'm going to take this other thing of value. Now, when you can see the thing of value and it's attainable, it can be easier. But when it's beyond your sight of how it can happen, or maybe you don't even know where you're going, even more difficult to leave something behind. So in Hebrews 11:8, the scripture says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now within this, you know, what, what did it mean that he didn't know where he was going? I'm not sure where I'm going with this either. But, <laughs> but, but he, he went to Canaan, right? And if you look at the story of, of how God was revealing his promises to Abraham, or to Abram at this time. Five years prior to this call for Abram to leave the land, God had already given him the promise that he would have an inheritance, that God had plans for him 
and the covenant between the parts in Genesis 15 had been, had been given. But there was still an element where Abram didn't know exactly how things were going to play out, exactly what it would look like, yet he trusted God. And because he trusted God, because he had faith in the God who can bring life from the dead, who can do what he said he will do, he was willing to go and say, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to follow wherever you lead and know that it will be established according to your word. So he had faith and he obeyed based on what he knew. And one of the things I think that God used to encourage Abram in this was the, the words that he used when he called him to go forward. Because when, in the scripture, what God said to Abram is lech lecha, okay, which is, it's repetitive. It's like, go and go yourself. And the sages understand it to be a, a call to go for yourself to the land which I will show you, okay? So there was something that was good for Abram in this, okay? So he was going for himself to receive what God had promised, but he was also going for something that was greater than himself, which was God's plan of how he was going to make Abram a blessing to all the nations, okay? But in it, again, there was good for him, even if he couldn't understand it, and there was the good that God knew coupled and, and worked together. So when we think about Yeshua saying that you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and he who's, who loses his life for my sake will find it, that's a call to deny yourself for yourself. It's a take up your cross for yourself, and you're going to find life when you're willing to lay aside what you think is important and take hold of that which God says is important. When you lay aside your vision and your plan and say, God, your vision, your plan is perfect. And now I'm going to align my thoughts with that. And based on the trust that I have in you and how you've revealed yourself, I'm going to take action and go out in obedience and it'll be going for myself and for the greater call. So really, there's, there's a beauty in it that comes in this aspect of, of obedience and trust. So the, the big question there is, in it, is when God has called you, will you go? Will you go for yourself? And you know, and think about that, it sounds kind of selfish, right? Will I go for myself? But the thing is that it's okay for us to want good for ourselves. Right? Because God wants good for us too. It's just this aspect of aligning our thoughts and our hearts to say, what God wants for us really is good. And therefore, I will desire what He desires and walk in it. Okay, so in Genesis 12, 6 through 9, we carry on in the scripture. So we, we had just read previously that Abram did go, and he came to the land of Canaan. And we pick right up there, and, and in Genesis 12, 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an, offer to, uh, an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. All right, so now Abram's come into the land. He's come into Shechem. God appears to him and says, I'm going to give you this land. So God's, again, reaffirming the promise that he'd given to Abram already. So Abram worships God, and he continues on, sets up another altar in Bethel, and encounters the Lord there again. So now, you know, are we done? You know, Abram had faith. He believed. He went. Now he's in the land. God says, I'm going to give it to you. And it's all easy and done. (laughs) Well, apparently not, right? Apparently there was a little bit more to what was going on. So if we continue on in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land already right there. It's not going according to plan. So Abram went down to Egypt to live as an outsider there because the famine was severe in the land. Just as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Look, please, I know that you are an attractive woman. So when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife, and they'll kill me. But you, they'll let live. Please say that you are my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians did see that the woman was very beautiful. Indeed, Pharaoh's officials saw her, and they raved about her to Pharaoh. Then the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, this isn't just not going according to plan. This is disastrous, right? Because he went into the land of promise, and what did he find? A land of plenty flowing with milk and honey? No, he found a famine to where he had to leave the land that was to be his and to go into Egypt where his wife is taken captive by Pharaoh. Now, of course, it's not... Not that Abram didn't have a, a hand in some of his misfortune, right? It's kind of like what we talked about last week. Abram was righteous, but he wasn't perfect. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he, uh, he contributed to some of the problems that were going on here. But now it's, it's not looking good. But this was just one of many trials that Abram was going through in his life and that he even would encounter. There were 10 trials that the Abram faced. Now, the counting or the, the accounting of those 10 trials can vary based on the, the source that you look at. But it was 10 trials and tests that he was going through that would prove his faith, that would demonstrate his faith and perfect it as he walked along the way. So the 10 trials, according to, to one uh, accounting of it, is... The first one, the call to leave his family and his home. And second one is the famine that he faced in Canaan. The third is the abduction of Sarah. The fourth is the war with the four kings when he rescued Lot. The fifth is the long wait that he had for a son in his marriage to Hagar. The sixth was to uh, perform circumcision. The seventh was the second abduction of Sarah. The eighth was the exile of Hagar after she gave birth. The ninth was the exile of Ishmael. And the tenth was the sacrifice of Isaac. 
these are not easy tests and trials that he was going to face along the way. So why did God test Abraham? If God knows what we'll do before we do it, if he knows the words that are going to be on our tongue before they even, or the words we're going to speak before they're even on our tongue, then what's going on? And from uh, one commentary that I read, they say a heavenly test is one that forces a person to choose between God's will and his own nature or understanding of what is right. Okay? So he was tested in order to really see what will he do? Will he submit his own will to the will of God and to submit his own idea and wisdom of what's right? and take on what God has said is wisdom. And in doing that, when we set aside what we think is right and take hold of what God says is right, then we declare that his word is true and declare that he is true and good and trustworthy in the midst of it all. So we declare him to really be the king and our king. Okay. All right, so... These tests and trials that Abram faced, and even that we face today, they're really for our good, even if at times they don't seem all that pleasant. And that reminds me of uh, in James 1 through 1, 2 through 4. I threw your uh, curveball there, Jeremy. (laughs) It's consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? So God was perfecting Abram. He was testing him, bringing him to a new, new place. Now, when God tests, that's not the same thing as temptation. I think it's important for us to recognize that. A temptation is something that is brought to cause us to sin, and to turn away from God. A test is put before us that we might prove the righteousness of God. Okay? And the temp- so it's, it's like it is actually the verse that you went to just a moment ago in James 1.13. No, no one is to say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Right? And so God does not tempt, he tests that we might prove. Temptations come to cause us to fail. But God always gives us what we need to overcome even when we do face temptation. That's what it, yes. It makes me think of like lifting weights. You know, you're going to be sore and that feels like pain, but it's good pain that's making you stronger, whereas opposed to just like an injury that feels like pain, doesn't actually make you stronger. That's like the, the temptation or the succumbing to sin that causes pain. It's not strengthening you, but the standing up under temptation is also painful, but a good pain that makes you stronger. And like when you were saying about Abraham's trials, if he hadn't had the nine before, could he have stood up under being asked to sacrifice Isaac? I don't think so. Like he, his faith was strengthened through each one of those trials. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really important aspect is the strength that this testing accomplishes and giving us endurance and perseverance. Because 
Well, it's, it's like uh, until you've actually tested. So like, let's take the, the lifting weights example. You don't know what you can really bear until you've put on the weight and tried to max out what your lift is, right? And, and in doing that, you, you'll actually often, when we, when we push ourselves, we find we can do more than we thought we could. That's one thing that is really good when you have a trainer. You know, if, if you have somebody who's there, who's spurring you on, encouraging you to push yourself and to do more than you think you can, you find you actually can. I know, I know I see shaking the head of trainers are awful. And trainers can be very hated. <laughs> and, uh, but the reality is that we can do more than we think we can, but we don't know until we've actually been tested and until we push ourselves. And then even the pushing ourselves then causes us to be able to do more the next time. It's really an interesting uh, interesting way in how it works. I mean, in the physical we see how it works, and in the spiritual it works with the same concept. Yeah, I don't think Abram, Abram could have taken, actually it's Abraham at that time, could have taken Isaac without having really known and walked with the Lord and seen his faithfulness. Now, Abram had seen quite a bit of faithfulness from God and, and his sovereignty, even leading up to, to leaving his family. But um, yeah, I think all of it built upon itself that God built him up and, and brought him to where he needed to be. Speaking of that, I guess we'll, I'll share a little bit on um, some of Abram's background because we don't always know a lot about Abram's background. We read here in the Bible that he was uh, the son of, of Terah, right? And that um, Terah made idols and all that but we don't get a lot of the story. And I won't go into detail on this, but it's, it's really interesting for study and for even thinking about the connections to Yeshua. Um, so with, with Abraham, so a star from the east foretold his destiny at his birth. So the astrologers saw the stars and said, oh, well, this great one has been born tonight that will overthrow um, your kingdom, Nimrod. And so Nimrod sought to kill him. It's the same thing that happened with Moses. Stars foretold his birth. And so then Pharaoh says, kill all the males so that we can get rid of them. And then at Yeshua's birth, the stars foretold. And Herod said, kill all the males. You know, it's the same story. It's just told over and over again. It's really... Pretty neat. But anyway, so Nimrod did try to kill Abram. And he was, Abram was hidden from Nimrod so that he might live. And he, he lived with Noah and Shem and learned their ways. So he was taught by Noah and Shem. And in this, uh, he, he, through his searching, he came to know who the one true God is. Destroyed his father's idols. And then his father ended up having to turn Abram over to Nimrod. And this is somewhere around the age 50. Um, don't know the exact time. But Nimrod actually put, and a lot of things I'm telling you are from tradition, right? They're not in the Bible, but these are stories that were passed down through the years that were common knowledge within Israel. 
Yeah. Maybe so, yeah. See, I have ears to... Y'all aren't going to get away with anything. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is all from traditional sources. But these are stories that, that, that Yeshua would have known, that his disciples would have known, that people would have been able to see and say, wow, this is God's faithfulness being shown and played out again and recognizing the significance of the stars foretelling a birth and things like that. Well, so then Nimrod puts Abraham in the fiery furnace for three days and the linen cords that, were, that had bound his hands burned off, but he lived. Right? So here you have Daniel. Right? Or, uh, Daniel's in the lion's den, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were put in the fiery What's that? Okay. Okay, so they were put in the, in the fiery furnace and they were delivered, right? And so when, when God tells Abraham in the scriptures that I have called you out from Ur-Kazdim, he's saying, I, I called you out from the fires, from the fire of Kazdim, of the Chaldeans. So he was actually speaking of a literal thing, not just Ur as in a location, but I... I brought you forth from the fire that should have killed you for this purpose. Man's purpose was to kill you and destroy you, but I have a different destiny for you. And so I called you forth from there. And now, now that I've shown myself faithful and able to do all things, go for yourself to a land that you will receive as an inheritance and I will make you a blessing to all people. So God demonstrates himself faithful and then calls us further. And then he shows himself faithful again. And part of the thing here is being able to trust that he will continue to be faithful. He's been faithful throughout the ages. And then he's been faithful with us in our lives. But we have to remember the things that he has shown his faithfulness in so we can be encouraged and strengthened and be able to go forth when he calls us. It's like with... Uh, with Yeshua in the scriptures, it says that he believed in the one who was able to raise him from the dead. And he submitted his life even to the point of death, right? Knowing God would raise him up because he trusted in God, that he was able to do all of those things. And God's intention was good in it all, right? Um, so, so with this, so this testing that's going on, the testing of faith takes faith from a concept and forces it to go into an action, right? Because faith isn't just an idea. Faith isn't a concept. It has to be put into action that aligns with faith in order for its potential to be realized, okay? Because yeah, faith has potential, kind of like uh, if we think about energy, a ball up on a platform has potential energy, but it's not until it falls that it becomes a different form of energy. Well, that actually produces something. Same thing with our faith. It's like we have our faith. We can put it on a shelf and never use it. It has a lot of potential energy. But once we begin to put it to action, then it can have effect. It can actually create something in space and goodness. Um, and th this morning, uh, I think this is connected. In First John four seven through nine, I just I, this verse just kept going through my mind. 
And, and I think uh, it's going to give us something here. Okay, here we go. First John 4, 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, so love. It can be a thought and an emotion. It's also an action. Right? Love is intended to be active, not just an idea. So, God is love. It says everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So everyone who loves, actually carrying out love, right, evidences that they are born of God and they know God. You actually experience God in the knowing. The idea of knowing in the scriptures is not just, a, again, an intellectual idea. It's an experiential aspect it's a relational aspect. It's an active aspect. So knowing God is tied with the active carrying out of love. And when we don't, and when we aren't active in love and carrying out love, then we don't actually know or experience God. And then verse 9, I, I included it because this says, the love of God was manifested in us that God might that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so we might live through him. What if God just really loved us but didn't send his son? Would that be love or an idea? And would it produce fruit or not? No, the love had to manifest. The love had to be active in sending Yeshua and then he, in faith and trust in God, had to submit to God's will for his life such that he would lay his life down and receive the benefit of the love and of the act of faith. So, the Greek mindset of isolating ideas from actions is contrary to the scriptural idea, the Hebrew or the Eastern idea that the spiritual and the physical go together. The idea and the action go together. You can't separate them. They, they have to be one with the other. You know, you start with the foundation and the concept, but then you, com you perfect it in the action. I was just going to add to that that, you know, James addresses that idea when he talks about faith and faith being active, faith and faithfulness when he says that you believe that there's one true God and that Jesus is a son, great. Even the demons be believe that, but it does them no benefit. They shudder at his name. So that faith has to be active. The love has to be active. They can't just be ideas like you're saying. Yeah, amen. A absolutely. It's, it's critical. And, you know, so, so talking on this, the importance of it being active and becoming something real and applied is really why God chose Abraham. You know, because people sometimes ask the question of, well, why did God choose Abraham? Did he just say, well, you 
or you. No, he didn't just do that. There was, there was more to it. And, and so in Genesis 18, verse 19, the scripture says, I have known him because he will command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord might then bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. And so he said, I have known him. Right? There's that relational aspect. He had known Abraham and he knew that Abraham would instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord doing righteousness and justice. Okay? That was the key. He said he's going to recreate that which is good. He's going to pass on to his children an experiential knowledge of the Lord such that righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice can be manifest on the earth as God would intend. Now, how did Abraham really get it in the beginning is, is the next thing. Okay, so Abraham has this idea and he's demonstrated this faith towards God and he's carrying it out. But ultimately, it goes back to the faith that Abraham had. In Genesis 15, 6, the scripture says, and he trusted in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is, of course, speaking at the time right before the covenant between the parts where God gave a promise and Abraham believed him. He said, you've proven yourself faithful. I'll trust you that you are still, that you are faithful to do this. And it was on that basis that righteousness was reckoned to him. Then from that place, he continued to walk in faithfulness, demonstrating what he'd been given, you know, with that right relationship with God. And it's always been about faith from the very beginning. And as Michael just said a few moments ago, faith is proven by faithfulness, right? In Ephesians 2, verse 10, the scripture says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, when you think about this, this, this follows on the verses that say, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, so that no one would boast. And it says, we're his workmanship, created in Yeshua for good works. Right? Within that, we have to recognize that there's a new creation. Created in Yeshua for good works. As a result of the faith, we have a transformation that we can then walk in his goodness. And we have the example of what that looks like through the life of Yeshua. Yeshua has been tested and has overcome. When you consider his time in the wilderness, right? Right after his immersion, he went in the wilderness and for 40 days he was fasting. And during that time, the adversary came and he tempted him. But Yeshua rejected the temptation and withstood and remained faithful to God. He was proving his faith. And Yeshua was willing to give up everything so that he'd go where he was called. Now, when he was being tempted by the adversary, the things that were placed before him were temptations that were in alignment with what God had promised that all the nations would be given to him. 
you know, Satan offered it up to him, but he said no, that was the wrong way of going about it. So Yeshua was willing to set aside what he saw as a path that could have gotten the promises, instead said God's way is better, and he would submit to it, much like Abraham was doing when he left the land and, and went and trusted. In Matthew 16, verse 21, the scripture says, from that time Yeshua began to show his disciples, okay, earlier we read here from Matthew 16 about denying ourselves and taking up our cross. These verses right here immediately precede what Yeshua was talking about, about denying ourselves and taking up our cross. He said, from that time Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Okay? Now, Peter was a man of faith, right? Of, of great faith. But when he was looking at the plan of how he thought things should work for Yeshua, he was like, well, I don't think that your death is really going to be working out here for establishing the messianic kingdom. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't compute. I mean, Peter was a smart guy, you know, but, but Yeshua says, no, there's, there's something greater than what you understand. And Yeshua is essentially saying, I'm going for myself, right? Let's go back to the whole lech lecha, go for yourself. I'm going for myself, even though it doesn't look like it's good. I am going for something because he was seeking an inheritance that God had promised to him and seeking a purpose that God had promised to him. In Matthew 26, verse 38, the scripture says, Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Right? So again, Yeshua, at this point in time, he doesn't want to die. In his flesh, he doesn't want to die, but he knows that it's got his father's will, and he's going to submit to his father's will because he knows his father's will is better and because he knows his father has proven himself trustworthy. Right? And so, really, in it all, he was willing to, to trade in what logic would say was good, what his flesh would say was good, his flesh which is weak, but the spirit is strong, and he was able to take hold of the spiritual aspects and see the good that was going to come and go, knowing that God was going to do what he said. And so really, in, an, in, in a way, again, he went for himself to receive the inheritance, which he did receive because God did raise him from the grave and is preparing a people for him. 
And through this faithfulness that Yeshua demonstrated that he actively participated in, he brought forward and opened the door for all the nations who would enter the kingdom by faith. Right? He, he accomplished a salvation for the Jews and for all those who would call upon his name. With the time that we have left, I'm, I want to go back to I want to go back to Genesis 12:10, and we're going to read a little bit more. Actually, we, we've read part of this already, but you know, Abram goes down into the land. God says, "You're going to receive it." Famine hits, and he continues on, goes down to Egypt. Um, I am going to reread it. That's fine. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live as an outsider there. Because the famine was severe in the land, just as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Look, please, I know that you are an attractive woman, so when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife, and they'll kill me. But you, they'll let live. Please say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians did see that the woman was very beautiful. Indeed, Pharaoh's officials saw her, and they raved about her to Pharaoh. Then the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And then I want to continue on from there. Um, in verse 16, And he treated Abram well for her sake, and he acquired sheep, cattle, donkeys, slaves, and maidservants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh along with his household with severe plagues because of the matter of Sarai, the wife of Abram. Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I would take her as my wife? Now here's your wife. Take her and go. So Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they escorted him and his wife and all that was his. So Abram went up from Egypt, he with his wife and all that was his, and Lot with him to the south. Now Abram was very laden with livestock, silver, and gold. He proceeded on his journeys from the south to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at first, between Bethel and Ai, to the site of the altar, which he had erected there at first. And there Abram invoked the Lord by name. So when you read this story, do you see, some, do you see a pattern? Okay, I'll just kind of go back in with high-level summary without reading it. So Abram goes into the land of Canaan and goes to Shechem. And then there's a famine in the land and he descends to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, his wife is taken captive and is really, in a way, enslaved by Pharaoh. And then plagues come upon, plagues come upon Pharaoh and he summons Abram and says, Get out of here. Take everything and leave. And Abram goes back up to the land of Israel carrying great wealth. 400 years summarized. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the precursor to the enslavement in Egypt. Because remember when Jacob was in the land of Haran getting his wives? He comes back to the land to Shechem. And then his descendants... And actually, eventually, he goes down into Egypt where they're enslaved by Pharaoh. And then plagues come upon Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, get out of here. And the children of Israel go for the great wealth. Huh. 
it's kind of interesting <laughs> how God likes to show these repeats. And there's an interesting aspect of it where, you know, what has happened to the fathers then happens to, the, to their sons. It gets carried out again. And there's an aspect where, you know, the Messiah identifies with all the sufferings of Israel. And so when the children of Israel go into exile, the Messiah goes with them in exile. And so you see parallels with the life of Yeshua, where he had to escape to Egypt and be brought up, where he has to go into exile and then bring the people back. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a pretty neat thing, but the story that happened with Abram tells us the story of the enslavement, and it, it ties into Passover in that way because of the deliverance that came at the time of Passover when Pharaoh sent the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Jared mentioned the whole aspect of the 400 years and how there was 430 years from the time of the promise until the exodus from Egypt. And when we look in the scriptures, we find that the Passover in Egypt occurred on the same day that the promise was given to Abram in Genesis 15 with the covenant of the parts. Okay? And it also is the same time of the covenant of circumcision. It's also the same time as the birth of Isaac. All these things happened on Passover. Again, God showing his repetition such that we would see his great works and that we would recognize his hand and how he's orchestrated all of these things. And all of these things being worked out through obedience and the promise working together. Right? Obedience and the promise all working together. And we're kind of running a little bit late on time. Um, not too late. There's still time for people to ask questions and comments and things like that. But I did want to... Um, I want to read Genesis 15 because it's so critical, this covenant and the promise that God had laid out to Abram because it's through the promises made to Abram and his faith that the nations are able to come in and be part of, or this is, this is the covenant through which those who put their faith in Yeshua and who trust in God come into the covenants and part of the commonwealth of Israel. So, in Genesis 15, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Actually, you know what? I'm going to have to read this translation. I'm reading a different translation, because this is important, I, I feel like. Starting in verse 3, Abram said, See to... See, to me you have given no offspring, and see, my steward inherits me. And verse 4 says, Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, saying, That one will not inherit you. Only him that shall come forth from within you shall inherit you. And he took him outside and said, Gaze now toward the heavens, and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he trusted in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. What strikes me here is the suddenly. Here's Abram in the midst of a prayer, 
talking with God. And he's like, you give me no offspring. My steward inherits me. And then, boom, God talks over him. He's like, ah, it's not what you see. <laughs> the one, this one, that one will not inherit you. Have you ever had one of those where God interrupts you in your thinking or in your prayer and says, no, you're, you're not seeing it. I've got something more. I've got something better. I was, there was one time I was praying about what our daughter would be, would be named. And uh, now, now my mind's kind of blanking on it. But I remember very specifically praying and just in the middle of it, the Lord just disrupts me completely. And the word Daniel, just loud, just totally disrupted me. It's like, okay. And then, oh, no, that's what it was. I said, that's what it was. He told me the name Daniel. And I said, but what if it's a gr-? And I didn't even get girl out, and Danielle was just, okay, all right. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the thing. God, he brings suddenly. So I love the idea that God brings suddenly and can disrupt us and say, no, no, I have something. I need to get your attention. I want you to believe. I want you to know this and take it to heart. He's saying that to Abram, that no one that's coming from you will inherit you. You will be a father in the physical and in the spiritual. And Abram trusted God and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Because there's an aspect here, you know how the scripture talks about Abram had faith to believe that God could raise even from the dead, right? That he believed that even if he were to offer up his son Isaac, that God would be able to raise him up. Well, in this moment, he had to believe that God was going to bring life from a dead womb. Right? Because his wife, at this time, was 65 years old, and they didn't have a child. Actually, I'm sorry, 60 years old at this time. But, but they didn't have a child. He knew she was barren, but he believed that God could bring life from the dead, even in this moment. And so then God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur Kazdim, out of those fires we spoke about, to give you this land to inherit it. Hmm. And when you think, think about this in context, right? If God brought him out of the fires and preserved his life, he was pairing that, that remembrance for Abram with the promise of, no, one that's coming from you will be, your, will be the one who inherits, Right? So I love that. Just God walks with us along the way and he gives us what we need to be able to believe and to be able to go and walk with him. Okay, so uh, he said, my Lord, whereby shall I know that I'm to inherit? He said, take to me three heifers, three goats, three rams, a turtle dove and a young dove. He took all these to him and he cut them in the center and placed each piece opposite its counterpart. The birds, however, he did not cut up. Birds of prey descended upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. And it happened as the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a dread, great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know with certainty that your offspring shall be aliens in a land not their own, and they will serve them, and they will oppress them four hundred years. But also the nation that they will serve I shall judge, and afterwards they will leave with great wealth. As for you, you shall come to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And the fourth generation shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite shall not yet be full until then. So it happened, the sun set, and it was very dark. Behold, there was a smoky furnace and a torch of fire which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Abram, saying, To your descendants have I given this land. 
from the river of Egypt, the great river, the, the Euphrates River, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. So God was affirming his covenant and his promises to Abram that he would accomplish all that he had laid out. And it's through this, through the faith of Abram, and I, this, this could be confusing if I were to say it that way. So it's through the faith, faithfulness of Yeshua that we enter into the covenant that was given to Abram by faith. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I was trying to say it clearly. Who knows? But Abram received the covenant through faith, right? And then it's the faithfulness of Yeshua that opens the door for us to enter into the, the covenant by our faith, Right? So that's, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> so, so we enter in through that. And within all these things, okay, we talked some about our need to, be, to have faith and to persevere and to trust that God is good, that his plans for us is, are good, and that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. And so we lay down our lives to take up our lives in him. But the Lord doesn't leave us alone. I want to read a few words of encouragement here in Isaiah 40 from our Haftarah. Isaiah 40, verse 27. The Lord asks, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So that, that verse 2, when it says, those who wait for the Lord... It's those who wait expectantly, those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength, and it's the strength that he provides. And jumping forward to chapter 41, verse 8, he says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will, you. I will help you, and surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hmm. So in the midst of it all, in the times when we feel like God's forgotten us or forsaken us, when it doesn't look like we thought it should work out, just like when Abram goes into the land, he says, I'm giving you this land, and he gets hit by a famine and then exiled to Egypt, God says, it doesn't matter what your eyes see. I will strengthen you and I will, uphel- I will uphold you and I will bring it about. Earlier when we were um, in worship, early on when we were singing, I wasn't connecting. I don't know if other people weren't connecting. I wasn't connecting. And I was just praying and I was like, Lord, I, I want to I, I wanna encounter you in worship this morning. And when the third song came along, uh, it was the song, You Will Be Praised. All of creation will sing, Worthy is Your Name. 
I mean, there was a breakthrough, at least with me. And I was hearing like loud singing going on in that moment. And it wasn't just me. <laughs> but I felt like there was this breakthrough. And in that, I felt like the Lord was saying, you, you, you know, just because you're not feeling it in the moment, keep pressing on. Because just because you don't see it right now doesn't mean it's not coming through. Keep going and see the breakthrough. Keep going and see the faithfulness of God carried out and the promises fulfilled in your life. So we can go confidently knowing that he goes before us and that he's with us forever through it all. And wrapping that up in Isaiah 41, verse 14. Okay, so... You're hearing this first before I read it, and I have to give a little clarification. It says, do not fear, you worm, Jacob. God's not uh, slandering Jacob right there. <laughs> He's, the, the worm is, is a defenseless creature that is kind of helpless and needy, right? And so that's, God's actually speaking in compassion to Jacob instead of saying, <laughs> you were, instead of saying, you worthless worm, he's like, you who are in need, I see you. I care for you. Okay. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new sharp thresh, threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the Lord will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. It's a tough worm. <laughs> that is a tough worm. But, you know, the thing is, here God says, I'm going to make you an overcomer, even though you may be weak and helpless. I'm going to cause you to succeed in what I have laid before you, and my purposes will go forth, and you will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, which endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that you've been faithful from the beginning, you've been faithful through all time, and that you have been faithful in our walk with you as well. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, give us eyes to see and wisdom to understand your good purposes and what you are doing, even when we don't see it in the physical, when it doesn't align with our reasoning. Lord, you are mighty and sovereign over all, and your ways and intentions are good. May we all, Lord, walk in faith, going for ourselves, taking hold of that which you say is good, and walk in abundant faithfulness towards you. Lord, we bless you and thank you. ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.